good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. So just a warning for folks who do not currently reside in the United States. The first part of our podcast is going to have little or no bearing on you. However, it may offer an interesting glimpse into what we are facing over here in the United States. It seems like yearly now some type of law or issue comes up uh, that involves the importation or the legal trade of our beloved spiders. And we have a new one that is probably the biggest, well, it's no probably about it. It's the biggest threat I've seen since I've gotten into the hobby, seriously into the hobby. And it's one that was honestly, when I first started reading the things that were going around about it, I'm like, this has to be a mistake. There's no way this could possibly go through, but here we are. So I'm going to go, I'm on the U.S. ARC website, and just a, a heads up, for those of you who don't know, U.S. ARC is in a, a group that basically looks out for the rights of pet hobbyists. They were built around, you know, reptiles and amphibians. They they fight these laws that can inhibit our ability to keep these animals that we love. So when the Lacey Act issue stuff came out with the tarantulas a couple of years back, U.S. ARC was already fighting those. They have won some really extremely important decisions against the government as far as these regulations are concerned. They are the ones that are protecting us. As, as a matter of fact, if it wasn't for U.S. ARC, I would say most of us out there, all of us out there would have no idea that what I'm about to read was even going on now. So I would encourage you to go to the U.S. ARC website, sign up, contribute, become a member. It's Again, I, I've tried to point people in that direction before and some folks are like well they're they're only really looking at reptiles and stuff no 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 it's it's the same laws that uh, that impact our tarantulas same laws that impact the reptile hobby they are fighting for us so go over there give it a shot you know before you make your next spider purchase i would encourage folks to go over and put that money toward us arc because this is a huge fight going on and one that really could it's our whole hobby basically not to be dramatic because i am not so a doom and gloom kind of guy i'm not one that likes to be dramatic when stuff like this comes up i like to try to you know keep an even even head about it and keep people from panicking. But this is a huge one coming down the pipe, and this could have dire consequences for the entire pet trade, whether it be, you know, exotic fish, inverts, reptiles, amphibians, you name it. If it's not a domestic animal, it is on, it's on the chopping block as far as something we can legally keep and, and bring across state lines. So I'm going to read the actual posting on USR because it's easier than we'll break it down a little bit and try to explain it to folks that just want kind of the summation of what's going on. And I'm also going to apologize in advance because usually when something like this happens, there's a law or something. I like to take notes, break it down, and present my you know user-friendly version of it, for lack of a better term. But in this case, I think it's really best that I just stick to the script here, what is up here. I don't want to omit anything. I don't want to misrepresent anything. And then in the end, we'll talk a little bit about how this could seriously impact the hobby. I, I will say, honestly, when I first heard about it, I kind of just passed it off like there's no way. I blocked it out of my head because to think about it just really... Yeah, obviously, spiders are very important to me. Tarantulas are very important to me. I do a lot about educating with them. And the thought of what this could mean was just honestly too much to even ponder. And so I just kind of went, ah, man, it's not going to happen. But the more I've been reading about it, the more, you know, as the week went on, I, again, as I usually do, read a lot more about it. And it's real. And it's, I haven't even wanted to think about it. It's just the, the thought of what this entails if it goes through. It's just so devastating, I don't even want to think about it. It's been kind of bringing down my mood all week. So anyway, I'm going to read the first part. We'll go up to the update, and then we'll explain what you can do. So just a brief explanation of what this involves. This involves 
the America Competes Act, which is law that is currently well, it's already passed in the House and is going to go to the Senate. And unfortunately, it is an unwieldy law with 2,912 pages with a bunch of amendments thrown in. So if anybody knows about the law process in the U.S., there's usually the main focus of the law. And then what will happen is representatives or senators will try to get their own little objectives in there. They'll put these little amendments on the bill, load it up. It's basically fattened up with things that have nothing to do with the original law, and they hope that this stuff goes through. And one of those is actually some amendments to the Lacey Act that would be absolutely devastating to just the exotics hobby in the U.S. It's not This just doesn't impact folks who are into arachnids or tarantulas or spiders or whatnot. It's a lot more animals than that. So I'm going to go ahead and read the actual U.S. ARC announcement, and then we'll go and break it down a little bit. So, buried within the 2,912 pages of the American Competes Act of 2022 lie Lacey Act amendments that affect all non-domesticated pet animals, i.e. all animals except for dogs, cats, and traditional farm animals owners. Competes is an acronym for Creating Opportunities for Manufacturing Preeminence in Technology and Economic Strength. The stated purpose of the act is to strengthen America's economic and national security, but obviously this was slipped into a massive bill in hopes to go unnoticed. The amendments would reverse the U.S. ARC federal lawsuit victory by reinstating the ban on interstate transportation of species listed as injurious under the Lacey Act. The bill would also create a whitelist, see number two below, that could affect millions of pet owners as well as pet businesses. Could your pet or species of interest, not just reptiles, potentially survive in southern Florida or any other location in the U.S.? Then it could be listed as injurious for just that reason. If this passes and your species of interest, even your pet, is listed as injurious, then it cannot be transported across state lines. That means you could not even take the pet with you if you moved to another state or needed veterinary care across a state border. This does not just ban sales, but prohibits all interstate transportation and importation into the U.S. This will trickle down to hundreds or thousands of common pet species. The American Competes Act passed in the House on February 4th and now goes to the Senate to be reconciled with an innovation policy package called the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act, or USICA, that passed in the Senate last year. The American Competes Act is the House Democrats' response to USICA, which does not contain the Lacey Act Amendment. This is the same language we saw introduced by Florida Senator Marco Rubio as Senate Bill 626 in 2021. Briefly, the amendments will provide that the Lacey Act bans the interstate transport of species listed as injurious. Specifically, it replaces Lacey's current language, shipment between the continental United States, with transport between the states. Create a white list of species that can be imported. This means that any animal, reptile, amphibian, fish, bird, mammal, and vertebrate that is not on the white list is by default treated as an injurious species and is banned from importation. Number three, create a new authority allowing Fish and Wildlife Services to use an emergency designation that becomes effective immediately after being published in the Federal Register unless an extension of no more than 60 days is allowed. This means no due process, public input, hearings, advance notice, etc. for injurious listings. So that means if they decide that it's injurious, it's over. There is no public 
input. There is no talking about it, discussing it. There's no change. I had to put that one in there and butt in because that's the one that scares the heck out of me if they pass this law and start putting this list together. Number four, permit fish and wildlife services to not allow importation if a species has not been imported in, quote unquote, minimal quantities to be defined in the year prior to the enactment of this act. And number five, the effective date would be one year after the enactment of this act. It goes on to say, in our landmark court decision, four federal judges agreed that U.S. ARC was correct and that the Lacey Act, Title 18, Section 42 of the U.S. Code, did not ban interstate transportation of injurious species based on the original language of the Lacey Act and the intent of Congress. As a result of this fight for our members in the herp community, this meant animals domestically bred under human care could be moved and sold across state lines within the continental United States. For her pediculturist concerns, this included some species of constrictor snakes and 201 species of salamanders. Now, what to do about this? This is the most important part of this podcast and what everybody's been trying to pass around on social media so that everybody's informed. This is one of those deals that if we don't do anything, if we sit on our hands and go, all right, well, you know what? I'm sure it won't pass. It could pass. And then next year, it could be a totally different ballgame as far as which animals we can own. Now, unfortunately, the bill passed on February 4th in the House, so it is now moving to the Senate. So here is what you need to do. You need to call, email, fax. People still fax. That kind of blows my mind a bit. But fax, if that's what you do, your senators, and tell them you want this amendment taken off, these Lacey amendments taken off the bill. We're not trying to stop the entire bill. It's getting this stuff stripped off the bill that A, has nothing to do with the whole intent of the bill, and B, will cripple cripple i mean, the, the thought of this is just mind-boggling what it'll do to the exotic pet trade in the united states what it'll do to those of us who are currently into reptiles exotic fish birds whatever it may be it will absolutely decimate these hobbies so we want to make sure we contact our senators you can put in the subject line no to lacy act amendments in the america competes act and then they also and i will put a link to this in the podcast so if you're on facebook and you're listening to this on facebook and you would like the link you're gonna have to bebop over to the actual buzzsprout website that i have and i will have the link there to us arc that has the sample letter here and they have a beautifully written sample letter that we can send that covers all these points that explains why this is government overreach that explains the harm it will do that explains the fact that they're making decisions with no type of scientific basis whatsoever it's very well spelled out and so that would i would honestly encourage anybody listening to this podcast that hasn't done so already turn my voice off after this get this link head over to us arc forget about the rest of the podcast now and get this done. Don't waste any time on this. We want to really hop on it so that our senators are aware it's in there. They can take it out because if you know how it goes, there'll be a debate in the Senate. They can take it out then. And then if they both pass it, it has to come together. They have to make these things match. So there'll be one more opportunity where they make the two bills match. We want it out of there. We want it just stripped from it off of that bill so it doesn't go through because if they aren't aware of it, they might not see it. They might not care about it. Listen, most people out there don't care if we're able to keep these animals. So we need to show them why why this is such a big mistake. So just to break down now, again, for those who are, I know I just read the whole letter. It's probably hard to process those of you driving around, sitting at work or whatever, but just some you know points of this bill that would really, why this would be so devastating. First of all, basically the only animals that aren't covered by it 
are like cats, dogs, and farm animals. Like that's literally a domesticated pets. And if you look at the list of actual animals out there, they're considered to be domesticated pets and farm animals. It's a very, very short list. And basically what it's going to do is make it illegal to import or cross state lines with any animal that isn't a dog, cat, or farm animal, or that isn't on this white list. Now, what's on the white list? You may be asking. There may be people, and I know I kind of thought about this. All right, I want to see this white list. Well, as far as I know, there is no white list yet. It has not been made. And that is scary because there are, think of how many different animals are out there. Birds, fish, amphibians, reptiles, tarantulas, inverts, scorpions, you name it. How many different animals that are out there that will not be considered domesticated that somebody would in theory have to go through on a case-by-case basis, look at all the information on them and decide whether or not they should be included on this white list. It doesn't make me feel very good about what would happen if this actually went through and what this white list would entail. I have a funny feeling that there wouldn't be very much on this white list because what's going to be easier? going through and trying to do the research and fill, figuring out what impact these animals can have, whether they're, you know, all the information involved in making an informed decision about what should be on this whitelist, or just to go, hey, nope, not on the whitelist. That's it. And as we talked about before, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services have emergency designation, emergency powers that basically mean that there is no due process. There's no hearings. There's no advance notice on the species impacted. They can just make that call. Now, for those of us in the U.S., We know we want to stay friendly with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. They have a job to do. We have had run-ins with them before with different species. I, you know, again, I bring back the fact that this is all going to come down on, if it does pass, U.S. Fish and Wildlife are going to be responsible for creating these lists. And then, you know, when we have situations with people like selling species that are supposed to be on lists across state lines and basically throwing it in the face of U.S. Fish and Wildlife, these are the things that are going to directly come back and haunt us. This is why I make podcasts about Pisolotheria species that are being illegally sold across state lines, because this is the type of stuff that they will remember. And guess what, guys? I don't see them being very forgiving because we try to work with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife. We try to show that we can toe the line, do what we need to do. And when people skirt the laws, that's a big middle finger right to those people that are enforcing those laws. And now they're going to have, if this passes, they will have all this power to decide what shows up on that list. So again, not a good look for us recently with some of the stuff that's been going on with this, you know, the importing from state lines, ignoring these rules that are already in place. This scares the heck out of me. So they would basically, to put this in perspective, If you have, if I have a tarantula collection, I live in Connecticut, I have a tarantula collection, I decide I want to move to Rhode Island. Right now, I just pack up, I move to Rhode Island. I take my spiders, I pack them up in a car, I mail them, whatever way I decide to transport them, I go to Rhode Island, no harm, no foul. With this law, it would be illegal for me to move any animals that aren't on that white list over to Rhode Island. And if I did try to bring my collection with me, I would be breaking the law. I would make hobbyists, it would make pet owners, a lot of people, again, we are pet owners, criminals with our own animals because we're not able to do that. Say we're one of these people, say I live on the border of Connecticut and Rhode Island, and I have a good veterinarian that's right across the border. A lot of folks will go to you know Connecticut, the Massachusetts, or Rhode Island, whatever it may be, vice versa. You try to bring your pet over there for pet care, you are crossing state lines, you are breaking the law. 
Let's take it a step further. We cannot sell tarantulas in public places in the state of Connecticut. They can't be sold in pet stores. They can't be sold in pet expos. The venomous inverts, it's a no-go. So what we have to do, if I want to see these things in person, I have to go over to pet stores in Massachusetts usually or expos in Massachusetts, and I can go over there, see them in person, buy them, and bring them back. Guess what? Now, if I go over there, I can't legally bring any of these across state lines. So we can no longer hop over to another state to get these animals. I would have to rely on essentially what we have in the United States. And I can only think of two dealers off the top of my head. I could be wrong. Thinking of Kelly Ferenz. I'm thinking of Anastasia who runs Netbug. Those are the two in Connecticut I, I can think of. If somebody else is out there, please, I apologize. But those are the two bigger ones I can think of that I could actually get stuff from that I can only get my own state. Now, if this law goes through, that's the those are the only two people I can get ones from. And for folks to import, a lot of, we've talked about this before, a lot of our stock comes from Europe. We import them into the United States. And you'd be amazed at how many of our captive bred tarantulas originated from Europe. And that would be gone. They would no longer be able to import. So it would only be what these people could continue to keep in stock and breed. It wouldn't be worth it, honestly, because they can't, They, I, I would think it would be very difficult for somebody in a small state like Connecticut to be able to create enough sales and do enough breeding, create enough sales to keep a invert business afloat. I think that would be the death of many, many businesses out there. Just think of all the businesses we go to. When you go online now and try to order tarantulas, we have many places. It's like they're popping up all the time. Many different places you can order them from. You'd no longer be able to order them. Maybe be, I don't know how it would work. I would guess that there'd be a handful of species that they would probably okay to go across state lines that would be on this white list. And that would be about it. So those would be the only ones we can order. And that might not even be the case. They might just say none of them, which is ridiculous because if you think about it, the law is supposed to protect the environment. It's supposed to, they're looking at like places like Florida and the Midwest, places where some of these animals could get out into nature and become invasive species. And in Connecticut, that's not an issue. We have cold, harsh winters. It's single digits out there right now. These animals will not survive in the wild here. So the thought process is the federal government is stepping in and taking over something that should be relegated to the states. It should be state authority to determine what species, if they're going to, and we already have states that have done this. It just happened in Florida, a terrible situation where a lot of species of reptiles and herps were banned because the fact that they are able to live, if they get out and they're released, they're able to live in Florida and they were just banned completely. That's on it should be on a state by state basis. If that's a problem in a certain state, yes, a state should be able to come in and go, you know what, guys, we're done with this. We can't do this anymore. States like us, the northern, you know, and I'm not saying it should happen to anybody. I want to make that very clear. I know folks in Florida were heartbroken over these laws. So I want to make that very clear. But if we're going to do that, it should come down to a state-by-state state basis. It should not. This is government overreach, federal government overreach, as far as I'm concerned, because they're coming in now and making laws for each state going, oh, wait, you know what? We're just going to look at the handful of states this could impact, and we're going to make this blanket law that covers all the states so we can no longer bring those these quote-unquote injurious animals across any borders. So it's kind of like, all right, these guys, it's going to impact these states. We're just going to ruin it for everybody. And it sucks. The idea of it is absolutely horrific it's terrifying like i think about and i'm thinking you know not to be self-centered here but the impact it would have on me obviously this has become a big part of my life the tarantulas and and i talk sometimes about it, i don't dwell on it but 
coming up to this tarantula room, that's my way of relieving stress. This is like, I've been in spots where it's like, you know, I'm stressed out from work. I, you know, you, sometimes you get a little down and you come up here and suddenly like that weight lifts and I'm feeding these animals. I'm observing them. It's been such a huge help to me personally. And then just being able to do the website, the podcast, the videos, that's a huge part of my life right now. And being somebody that likes to be creative and a teacher, it fulfills that aspect of it. And it's not, just me. I know that these animals are very important to a lot of people. It's sad because I still, I work with people that are starting to kind of understand when we talk about, you know, I, I usually make fun of myself when they bring up my hobby and I talk about what a geek I am and everything because you kind of get that out of the way and then they have nowhere to go but ask questions and then they start asking questions. So I think they're starting to understand to a point, but at the end of the day, they see somebody that is keeping creepy, crawly pet, uh, animals as pets, animals that most people loathe and they don't get it. People don't understand. So when you try to explain to them why these are so important to you, they don't quite get it. They don't get the fact that there are folks out there and I can tell you every week I get an email from somebody explaining the profound impact that finding this hobby has had on their lives. I've spoken to folks that have depression. I can't tell you how many people suffer from depression that talk about the, the, the fact that keeping these animals is a huge huge part of combating that terrible disease, being able to pull themselves out of the funk, being able to, you know, clear their minds, being able to see the bright side of things. I've had people, no joke, tell me they were suicidal. They attempted to end their lives before they found the hobby. And that has been part of their recovery, part of the way they have kept from going down into that dark place. It sounds corny, but it's true. I've had many folks who have been served in the military. These are the people that are going over fighting for our rights that give up a lot to go over the sacrifice a lot to protect us that talk about how they use the keeping arachnids and keeping tarantulas as a way to combat PTSD. I've received many. I remember the first one I received many, many years ago. It was a beautifully written letter by an ex-Marine who talked about how it really did save his life finding these guys. Unfortunately, lost touch with them. But it's one of those deals where you don't think about what a profound impact this hobby can have on people. We see a lot of people out there, the outsiders see it as we're keeping creepy crawly things. Those of us who are in the hobby recognize how soothing it can be to sit down and do feeding time or to do maintenance or to do a rehousing. Even though we talk about how scary it can be and how when doing rehousings, they can be stressful. I do rehousings, they're stressful. Yeah. But at the end of the day, at the end of that rehousing, the spider's in the new enclosure. I'm excited to see the spider in the new enclosure. I, I like watching the spider settle into the new enclosure. The spider is obviously happier. It just brings such a feeling of accomplishment and joy when it's all said and done. So PT, folks who suffer from PTSD, that's a big one. A lot of people contact me that are in the military that this becomes part of their, for lack of a better term, therapy. Another one, addiction. I can't tell you how many folks I've spoken to over the years, again, that have fought through addiction, whether it be drug addiction, whether it be alcohol addiction, that part of their recovery involved finding the hobby, gave them something to focus on rather than running to drugs or the drink. And I've heard many profound and affecting stories from people who are now in a much better place, and this has been part of it. Medical issues, a lot of people that I talk to have extreme medical issues that keep them from being able to sometimes in any, to go out and enjoy life in the real world, in the outside world. I just spoke to an amazing young lady who talked about she'd been diagnosed with a disease that keeps her bedridden 
most of her days, like entire days, bedridden. And she loved animals. She used to love working with fish. She loved working with other animals. But unfortunately, because of her disease, she wasn't able to participate in the way she used to be able to. It just wasn't viable. And then she found the tarantula hobby. And she wrote this beautiful letter talking about how it gave her something she could work with animals again. And because the fact that they are easy to maintain... She is now able to keep spiders and able to feel the way she did when she kept the other animals that she is now not able to keep and how important that has been to her being able to cope with this disease. I mean, I just I read this is one of those ones you read and you just kind of sit there and stop for a minute and think how fortunate you are and, and then realize how important this hobby can be to people. So unfortunately, most people don't see that. They don't hear it. So when you write your letter, and I'm assuming, obviously, folks that aren't in the U.S., I apologize. I'll just give you a little glimpse into politics over here. It's amazing. But hopefully folks that are in the U.S. that are listening to this will immediately, if you haven't already, I, I wasn't kidding, turn me off and jump on, get on uh, U.S. ARC and get, like, subscribe, contribute, and get this letter sent off. Do a search for your senders. You each have two senders, two senders each state. And let them know. And when you email them or when you write a letter or when you fax, I can't get over the fax part. I'm sorry. I, we, have, we have to have a little, a little you know, lightheartedness here. I don't think I've used a fax since the 90s. Like I, but I guess if that's a way to get attention, it may be a better way to get attention, their attention because I'm guessing they probably don't get many faxes either. So maybe this is the way to go. We just fax the heck out of them. But anyway, whatever it may be, when you contact them, you want to personalize it a bit. Obviously, they wrote, U.S. ARC wrote a beautifully written, perfect template or letter, sample letter for anybody to use. You can drop that right in there. It's it's good. But it's even better if you can personalize it and let these guys know just a bit about yourself. Don't get lost up. You don't want to get into one of those deals where you put this long two-page narrative about your life. But mentioning a little bit about yourself, what you do, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, I put that I'm a teacher because I think that's important. I'm an educated individual and I teach children and I use the spiders to teach others. I think that's a very important part of me and very important information for them to know that there are folks out there. I think that unfortunately there are stereotypes. We've joked before about the stereotypes that people think of when you talk about somebody who keeps spiders and they need to know that we're human beings we're intelligent human beings and they need to know a little bit about this if you're one of the people that's out there that's fought for our country that has ptsd that is used tarantulas to cope drop a little bit in about that if you have some medical condition that is kind of prohibited you from enjoying some of the other hobbies you used to do from going out from keeping farm animals or regular domestic animals whatever it may be put that in there they need to hear these little humanizing touches if you have have used these animals to fight addiction. Again, very powerful stuff. They need to understand this isn't just a bunch of weirdos that are sitting in dark rooms, blasting death metal music, and playing with spiders. We are rational, smart, most of us are. There are some ding-dongs out there, but rational, smart, intelligent, caring human beings, and these animals have become a huge part of our lives, whether people understand it or not. So again, Feel free to humanize, to personalize that letter a bit, but don't go overboard a couple sentences about yourself and then get into the main letter because you don't want them to lose focus or go, this person's crazy, and move on. But definitely, is if you haven't already, again, I keep saying it, 
jump, follow that link, jump all over to US ARC and make your voice heard. I don't think, but the way I see it and knowing how laws are created, if enough of these senators are contacted and know that this is on there and there are people out there saying flat out, you know, there's some folks that put in their letters, I will not vote for you again if you don't look out for my rights. Whatever it may be, if enough people contact them, they'll want to, they'll bring up, we need them to bring it up, realize it doesn't belong on there and take those amendments off of this bill. And hopefully that's what will happen. Because again, guys, I, I'm not the doom and gloom type. When the whole Brazilian thing bounced up a couple years ago, I tried to keep everybody calm, said, relax, let's just lay back, do the right thing, make sure that we're not doing things that are going to raise the attention of fish and wildlife and make them upset with us. And I think it, cooler heads prevailed. We got over it. We're in a better spot now than we were a couple years ago when everybody was freaking out. But this is way bigger than that. Way bigger than that. You know, back then we're talking about losing Brazilian species. This could be all the species. So we need folks to keep a level head. Another thing not to do in your letter or your fax or your email is to be used correct language don't make threats the worst thing you can do is go if you try to take my spiders you're going to take them over my dead body that's great that's amazing that does nothing for us that just further perpetuates that stereotype that we're all freaking nut job weirdos keep it professional keep it polite do not swear do not make threats try to get your senator's attention in a well-written articulate and well-thought-out letter that shows that, hey, you're a normal human being, you have a vested interest in keeping some of the animals that would be impacted by this, and that this basically these amendments have nothing to do with that bill, take it off. If you're somebody that can't hold your temper or can't write a sentence without dropping an F-bomb or threatening somebody, please sit this one out. We don't need your help. I, all I can think of is the hearings that went on in Florida uh, when they were getting ready to pass that bill, and some of the stuff that was said in those calls just basically made us all look like crazy idiots. We don't need that. We need people that are articulate and calm to voice their opinion and get them to rip these amendments right off that bill. Because if not, I got a funny feeling these podcasts, I mean, here's the deal and, and not to be an, an alarmist, but it impacts so many levels of keeping. Cause I will tell you if I can no longer, if, if people can't get animals, if people can't get any of these species anymore and they start, you know, becoming scarce in the hobby there's no point of me doing YouTube videos or doing podcasts or articles about it because nobody's going to need this stuff. Nobody's going to be able to keep them. After a while, what you have in your collection will die off. You'll be left with whatever you have. Maybe a handful of species get on that white list. I don't know what they would be, and we're able to keep those. But for the most part, the hobby would be strangled here in the U.S. There would be no expos. There would be no, think of the dealers. How much, you know, this is something that's supposed to encourage American prosperity and businesses. Think of how many people are out there that make money selling these animals right now would be completely out of business. There's, if you can't sell things across state lines, you would have to rely on just what's in your own state. And I'll tell you, that completely decimates the amount of people you can sell to. That's going to completely kill a business. So this has far reaching ripples of effects. I got a funny feeling you'd see a lot. And I'm just projecting if this were to go through a couple years from now, I'm guessing you'd see a lot fewer YouTube channels from American folks. I would probably take a back seat. I don't know if I'd, how long I'd be able to do this. It would really bother me to know that like, if I have something that passes away right now, I have an older C. pubicens, the female that's been around for you know, 10 years or so, and she's on her way out. It's when I raise from a sling. 
I want to get another one to replace her. If it got to be the point where I would lose an animal and that was it, I could never have it again. That would kill me. That would crush me. That's part of my grieving process. You, you know, you, you bury this one, you go out and get another one. A lot of things would change if this went through. So let's come together. If you, after this podcast, if you haven't already again, hop over to US Arc, join up, sign up, follow this, post it, repost it. I see a lot of people posting this on Facebook. Excellent. Make sure everybody knows about it. Make sure people that aren't in the hobby, the tarantula hobby, but are in other hobbies, exotic hobbies, bird folks, people that keep different fish, people that keep reptiles, make sure everybody you know is aware and make sure they do their part. If enough of us politely, respectfully, intelligently contact our senators and get their attention, then there's a good chance they just take this off. It goes on the floor. They debate. They go, this isn't supposed to be here. Rather than hold up the bill, they go, all right, we're going to take this part off. It's done. We can sigh, you know, all release a huge collective sigh of relief and hope that, you know, we don't have to deal with anything like this for quite some time. If it goes through, it's going to be some somber times in many of the exotic pet hobbies here in the United States. So obviously, I will keep folks updated in future podcasts. Hopefully, there is good news to be had. I'm praying this thing doesn't go through, but we need to do our part to make sure that happens. So moving on to the last topic, which we might as well keep it kind of somber. <laughs> I was going to do something more upbeat, and then I, I had this information to share, and I figured I might as well just put it at the end of this terrible potential law that's going through. But a lot of folks have been asking for an update on my P. Solitheria Formosa. If you remember a while back, back in June, my P. Formosa had a terrible molt in which the majority of her skin was still stuck on her. I had to do, we'll call it minor surgery, and basically had to remove her two pedipalps. They were completely seized up in the molt. On her right side, she had three legs that were very deformed and crimped up where what happened was she was trying to free herself from the molt. She was still soft. She bent up and damaged those legs. So after all was said and done, we cleaned away the rest of the molt. She was left not being able. She wasn't particularly mobile, and I was really worried that she was going to die. And I put her into an enclosure with some moist paper towels, kind of the uh, tarantula ICU, but it wasn't. It was more because I wanted to make sure that she lost, obviously, some fluids with the process. She lost a great deal of hemolymph from the two pedal palps. Or not a great deal, but there was obviously some bleeding. So I wanted to make sure that she had not only more moisture in her environment, that she could get a drink if she needed. Well, as it turns out, I tried feeding her about a week after she molted and she I wounded some crickets. I fed her. She was able to eat. And then after that, I kept feeding her. I was feeding her usually twice a week or so, trying to get her fattened up. What I was hoping for was a fast molt where something is, when a spider is damaged, sometimes they'll molt quicker than they normally would to try to repair the damage because we really wanted her to grow those pedipalps back. And in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have expected a fast molt because there was so much damage. It was going to take a little while for her body to grow back those lost appendages. But anyway, she ate well. I eventually, she stopped eating. I moved her. I took the container that she was in, took the paper towels out, cleaned it completely out, put some substrate, damp substrate in it. Uh, it was basically dry on top of damp on the bottom, some moss, a water dish, a little piece of cork bark, tried to make it a little more homey for her. I did not put her in an arboreal enclosure because she's had a hard time climbing because of the loss of movement on that those legs on the right side. So I want to make sure she could still, you know, be comfortable enough and not possibly try to climb and fall. 
Long story short, Friday night, I come home from work, I look in there, and she is molted. And she's in the process of molting, looks like everything came out great, I'm excited, I come down and tell Billy, I'm like, I can't wait, I haven't done a video in a little while, I'm probably coming back mid-February, so I was taking a little break to get some stuff done, and I'm like, this might be the one I lead with, because so many people have asked about it, and we're going to have a happy ending. Well, not so fast. Unfortunately, Saturday morning, I came down and I wanted to get some video of her, you know, with her newly molted skin. And she did have, she regrew or regenerated her two pedipalps. She's got little training wheel pedipalps now, little cute ones. I take the cage down. I open it up. She is laying on the ground and the molt is on top of her. So I figured she had just crawled underneath it. Nope. Unfortunately, the three legs that were damaged in the last molt were basically stuck inside of the new molt she had with three legs completely affected they, they never came out they were totally stuck in unfortunately when that happens when they damage your legs when they're healing like that or when they're still i'm sorry when they're still hardening that can cause problems for the next molt so all three damaged legs were stuck now good news is everything else abdominal skin came off the carapace came off no problem new pedipalps came out no problem the legs on the other side no problem but three legs completely hung up. She was in rough shape. And one of the legs, she had already tried to remove it because they can pop off their own legs if they become a hindrance. And what happened was she couldn't completely get it removed because there was three of them kind of stuck together and she was bleeding. So what I had to do once again, and I did not get video of this again. When something like this happens, I just need, it's go time. We just have to get it done. I can't tell Billy to come up here. Let's get the camera. Let's get the lights out. What I did was, again, pinched off the legs one at a time so that she could pull them off. So I pinched off the first leg that was already bleeding. She popped the rest away off and then quickly took a cotton swab or Q-tip with cornstarch on it and put it over the wound because that one was a little messy. That one was bleeding a little bit. We wanted to make sure we stopped it. And then I went on, did the next leg and the next leg. So we popped off, unfortunately, three legs. She lost three legs on her right side. And with the other two stumps, I did go through with the cornstarch. Make sure, again, they if they pop them off themselves, they can close off that hemolymph from leaking out. But still, I just you always want to make sure that there's no way that, you know, I've had ones before pop off legs. I had it happen to an avicularia, avicularia morph six, the avicularia metallica, so to speak. She lost two legs and she wasn't able to stop the bleeding and bled out. It was horrific. So you always want to make sure you, that it's better safe than sorry. Make sure that that hemolymph is clotted and not bleeding out. And then I've just had to leave her alone. So she is stretched out. She is missing three legs on her right side. Her fangs look like they're hardening up. She's resting. Uh, I made sure that there's the inside environment of that enclosure. There's some moisture if she needs to get a drink. There's some. She's right over some moss, so I made sure I moistened the moss up so if she wants to get a drink out of it. And now all we can do is wait. What I'm hoping, this sucks, because honestly, I was hoping she would pull out of this and be in much better shape. I have an enclosure all ready for her. I did promise that she was going to get a nice big Exoterra enclosure. Now it's going to be, I looked at it, this has been almost, I believe, seven months since this first bad mole, and now she has a second bad mole. So again, kind of thinking, is this it for her? Should I, you know, I'm not thinking euthanasia yet, because if she does continue to eat, then what I'm thinking will happen, it'll be another six or seven months, hopefully, those three legs will grow back because now they're not pinched. I do believe the problem was she damaged them during that first molt and that caused, that compromised the second molt because of the way they were pinched off. They were always, she had a very hard time with those legs. So they were already messed up. Hopefully now that they're completely gone, she can grow back the, you know, obviously the smaller ones, they will work fine. And then she will be fine after that. We will see. But I am going to monitor her closely again, hoping 
for a happy ending for this one, but not the update I wanted to make. I know a lot of folks, when I put that last video up, like, this is amazing, you saved her, she's great. And I was like, no, let's wait for this molt. I have a funny feeling, let's wait for the molt, let's wait for the molt, see what happens. Good news is, she seems to be alive and doing well, and, and she's starting to get more lively by the day. Bad news is it was not a good molt once again, and those legs are gone. So I will keep people updated. I am I did shoot the first part explaining what I did, the first part of the video on it, and what I'm going to do is wait a week or so, try to feed her. If she, if she eats, I will probably then put the video together and say, here we go again. But again, I feel bad because this is twice now she's gone through a bad molt, I'm hoping to see signs that she'll pull out of it like she did last time. She became very lively at the end. I mean, despite the fact missing those pedipalps and having those legs on the other side of her that were disabled, she did seem to be in pretty good, I don't want to use the word spirits, but she she was in good shape overall. We'll see what happens with this one. If I see the same signs of that, then we will continue with it. We'll feed her, see if we can get her to molt a third time and fix all this stuff. And hopefully she can live the rest of her life happily. If not, then maybe the euthanasia will be something I have to consider. I hope it doesn't go down that that way because, I, again, you can't help but feel extra connected and attached to a spider that has gone through this much that you have you know been this close to. I told Billy, she probably looks at me now like, this is a jerk that keeps yanking off my limbs, but I couldn't. it's the only way to make sure that she can grow out of this and survive is to get those limbs that are in, in, stuck in the molts out of the way. So I'll keep people updated. Look forward to that video eventually. Hopefully it's a good update. Hopefully she eats and then we can, you know, again, and hold out hope that she'll pull through. So that will do it for this one. If you haven't already, head over. I'm going to keep saying it. Head over to U.S. ARC and make sure that you make your voice heard with your senators. Let's get them to pull this these wacky amendments off this bill. It uh, just drives me nuts that it's like I, I try to do the tarantula thing to avoid stuff like politics. And so, like, I don't want to hear this crap anymore. There's enough garbage going on in the world. This is my escape. And now it's impacting my escape. That drives me absolutely nuts. So let's get this thing pulled. As always, you can find me on TomsBigSpiders.com. You can find me on YouTube, although I've taken a break. I think it's been like a month since I posted anything. So just a heads up there. I'm not dead. I'm not giving up on YouTube. I just it's my busy time of the year and I have to focus. I'm focused on the podcast. I'm focused on making some changes some of the videos I do in the channels, getting some videos banked up. I've already got like three of them ready. So I will be coming back and hopefully folks will be there for me. That'll do it for this one, guys. As always, stay safe and we'll catch you all next time.